Welcome to the Cinephile and Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, two cool dads, and two struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. I'm Will Johnson. We're new and we're damn glad to have you. We hope you've got your judges scorecard. Folks, this is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now... The gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we're talking about Coming to America, the brand new sequel to the classic film Coming to America. Same title, different two. This one's been recommended by myself as the lover, and our format is this. The recommending lover goes first. They get five. It's already starting. Here it is. (laughs) They get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater, you. Follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth or just caveman put downs. After that, we open up for 15 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. Folks, I'm Don. That's Will. It's coming to America. Let's go. Will, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic as we were talking about off air. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just uh, I'm about ready to end my. Uh, COVID uh, uh, hermit hermitage hermit. Is that a word? Hermitage. Uh, I- I'll take it. I'll accept yeah, it. And I'm yeah. uh, gonna I'm about to go back into the, the job market for real. I'm going to be teaching in, in a classroom for the first time. Um, oh, man. But uh, my biggest concern is that uh, is, is just exactly that biggest concern. I feel that I've gained approximately 735 pounds in the last <laughs> year. So, All right. Uh, going to be fitting into those pants. It's going to be fun. Ooh, good luck. Good luck. I, I've been teaching uh, in person all year. We've had our little little dips here, little dips there where we had some virus trouble to the point where we're like, you know what, let's close this up for a couple of weeks. But we've hung tight. We're in there and we're going to do fine. Um, our numbers are good enough where I think when we get to the fourth quarter of school, which is about a week and a half or so, report cards coming up, we're going to try to bring everybody back to school who, unless you have a super duper medical case where you shouldn't. So mm-hmm. until then, it's Eddie Murphy. It's coming to America. All right. I am the lover. I will go first. Five interrupted minutes. Timer starts now. Shut the fuck up. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for coming to America, it's for me, all this boils down to it. And I got to take five minutes to kind of state all this out here is it's likable characters. You know, um, back when the first movie came out, uh, Prince Akeem Jaffer of Zamunda and Lisa McDowell of Queens, they had a kind of a their song that they ended up kind of smooching and falling in love to. And it was a, it was the song to be loved by Mr. Excitement, Jackie Wilson. And there's like little lyrics that, that came to mind listening to the song. They kind of have a reprise of it here in the movie. And I made my review where I talk about like the lyrics from Wilson are like, some wish to be a King or a queen, some wish for fortune and fame, but to be truly, truly, truly loved is more than all these things. And dumb hijinks aside, makeup tricks, zany antics, wild characters, all this movie wants to do is be loved and have likable, lovable characters. I've seen a zillion of these movies where you just have, you know, a himbo, a male chauvinist, not really figure out what he is. And from the first movie to the second movie, you still have the same Eddie Murphy who's just... I don't know, a good true blue lover who wants, you know, to marry for love, not for kingdom, not for title, not for this, not for that. And I admire that about the old movie. I admire that about this current one to be able to spin that to another generation. 
And I was pleased at that to have him to have Murphy come back and play a romantic lead that kind of has like courtship principles and decency instead of the usual, you know, sassy mouth Lothario type that made him famous. Don't get me wrong. When Eddie Murphy's a dick and a jerk, he's awesome. He's the best. His cut down humor is right there with all the guys that are with him as his contemporaries. But yeah, I, I think of that line from the first movie of, you know, he says, uh, I need a woman who can arouse my intellect as well as my loins. And as the brains of the operation here, I can dig and respect that. I can come to this movie and just understand that they're just trying to tell a silly love story. They're just trying to have fun and they're just trying to have likable characters. And I'm digging that. Is it cheap and is it cheesy to bring all this back? Is it a whole bucket of nostalgia popcorn? Absolutely. Totally there. But what I've seen from other places that try this this nostalgia thing it's if you all you did was come back and do the same gags and just have things show up just to show up and you don't put any substance or a different kind of little wrinkle here wrinkle there behind it there's not enough to it to justify having a sequel and this movie probably still shouldn't justify having its own sequel but i was okay just hanging with these characters kind of to go back to our first uh, kind of going to go back to our first episode we did on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where we both kind of agree just hanging in the car with the boys would be fantastic. I could sit in that barbershop all day and just watch those old men bust these two guys down, you know, who are young princes from Zamunda. And it's in those characters that I want to hang out. I want to hang around with Semi and have him get me into trouble with Arsenio Hall. I want to hang around with Eddie Murphy and have all the rich, amazing things. I want my royal penis cleaned by a wonderful woman in a bathtub. <laughs> all those things to me would be a fun world to kind of inhabit and be. Maybe it's fun because it's idealistic. Maybe it's fun just because it's silly and a fairy tale unto its own with Queens and New York mixed in. Is it loud? Is it dumb? Absolutely. Is it still true blue and romantic to a small degree? Yeah. Is it as good as the first one? Absolutely not. But for what this movie needed to be, which was enough nostalgia to have you smile, enough new things and new people to be to kind of pique your interest, and you get that with some interesting characters, and to still kind of have the gags and the fun, and to keep it lighthearted, was good enough for me. Could this movie have used its R-rated edge that the first one was, where we can yell "fuck you" off the Queen's, you know, balconies? Absolutely, that's where all, you know a whole bunch of the original fun is. But for now, as a sequel and something you can kind of broach and approach to a, an older generation, because these guys are pushing sixty, that's that's par for the course. That's as good as I can take it, and that's where this movie needs to be. It's just something you can watch for pure dumb fun. Something you can put on the couch and watch on a Friday night with your, with the, you know, not so much with your family, but as a date night movie, just chilling. And, you know, if you have your beer just sitting there drinking it, that's good enough for me. Totally more highbrow things out there, totally smarter comedies there, but it looked good, it felt good, and it's nice to see Eddie Murphy smile and have a good time. I felt like this was still enough elevated material where it's not a regression back to the really shitty aughts that he had, where he just played dumb things for PG audiences. There's still enough sass. There's still enough fun. It may not be the same R-rated pulp that it normally is, but it ain't bad at all. That's my loving take on coming to America. And when the timer goes off, and here we go, hit that bell. That's my five, Will. Uh, Hate it in return. That was uh, unbearable. Um, I know. (laughs) Uh, just a little, all right, five to you, man. All right, just a little background. Uh, so originally, I was supposed to review this film on Twenty Five Years Later. 
and I hated it so much uh, that uh, mm-hmm. I refused to write a review on it. Um, and uh, Don came to the rescue and uh, made 25 years later a pro coming to America website, which I totally disagree with. And I actually thought about resigning my commission, turning in my badge and my gun and giving in to the film criticism uh, line of duty because uh, I couldn't believe that we actually wrote that on a website, especially with with our third episode. He hated the film that I liked, which we'll get into uh, next week. Mm. Now, teaser. (laughs) Now, imagine, if you will, being so overconfident in yourself, so adamant that your place and the cultural zeitgeist is secure and beloved that you would lavish millions upon millions of dollars on a product so behind its time and lacking creative <laughs> energy, originality, or humor that you Ooh. simply expect people to show up to view said product and not only praise it for merely existing, but hoping new generations will cherish your memory forever. Unfortunately, we don't have to imagine that because the comedic hubris made flesh has been cast upon us like a malignant tumor in the form of coming to America, coming number two America, like too fast, too furious, a film so wretched and awful that even the blooper reel at the end of the movie is tired and just wants to go home. This (laughs) is a monumental disaster for all involved, most specifically for taking all of Eddie Murphy's recent goodwill he generated from Dolomite is my name and his SNL hosting gig. I think which he won an Emmy for mm-hmm. tossing it in the trash, which happens to be in a dumpster that's completely engulfed in flame. I can't put into words. Well, I guess I can cause I'm doing it, but I can't put into words how savagely unfunny this film is and what it lacks in humor. It makes up for it in schmaltzy attempts at drama and has enough cliches and tropes in its elementary plot to populate a landfill, which is likely where they found the script. How dare Amazon treat Wesley Snipes this way? He is the only one trying to animate this desecrated corpse of a film with any energy. Now, credit where credit is due. Ruth E. Carter who did the costume mm-hmm. design for many Spike Lee films and won the Oscar for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. She does some of her most breathtaking, breathtaking costume design work ever in this film. I will give the film that. It has some of the most glorious costume design I've ever seen in a film. So if there's something that I can take away from this wretched experience, it is that Ruthie Carter knows how to do her job. Um, even if it was for nothing, she deserves <laughs> better than this. My eyeballs deserve better than this. We, as a society, we live in a society, Joker, deserve oh better than this. This is awful. I almost turned it off. I never, I, I, can, I can verify this. I, I believe you already. I have never. I only a few times in my life have I ever turned a movie off. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I've only fallen asleep in one movie. That was Shadowlands with Anthony Hopkins. I fell asleep. Um, uh-huh. It was about C.S. Lewis and it was boring as balls. And I fell asleep. I was a kid. Give me a break. Um, 
And this one was close. This one, I literally hit pause and it said there was 50 minutes left. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe there's 50 more minutes of this. And I actually like took a piss and then got some food. And I think I probably like, I don't know, mm-hmm. like killed a homeless person out of frustration. And then I came back and finished it. Fine. It's over with. It's done. I finished the movie. So unlike Shadowlands and um, I I finished this one uh, against my better judgment. But um, it's not a, mm. it's not just that it's a classic film having a sequel to a classic film. It reminds me of the same hubris that went into Ocean's 12. Do you guys remember Ocean's 12? I do. Ocean's 12 was a movie so up its own ass and so satisfied with how beautiful it looked and how great Ocean's 11 was that, uh, you know, they just made something so vile and so like, this is such a fun in joke, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Oceans 12 is awful. Now, granted, Oceans 13, they made up for it. But I digress. My time is up. Yep. The film is awful. Don't watch it. Don's an idiot. Ah, <laughs> I I hear you. I hear you. No, it is it is a huge fruit farmer's market of low-hanging fruit. No doubt about it. <laughs> but I, I admit I'm I'm there laughing. Um uh, maybe me uh, some of that is the is the the demographic and and things that I that I don't mind having fun of. I you know Leslie Jones is somebody I laugh at. I know she can great and have a little too much going. I love the in jokes work for me because I was in on the joke the first time and I really enjoyed it in that kind of way. And yeah, I, I'll, I'll echo the same props you give. Ruthie Carter, fantastic costumes. I'll even spread that over to the production design. Uh, I got a name on that in here in a little bit. Where the, I mean the movie mo- looks like a million bucks in that kind of way. And that's impressive, you know, because you can kind of bring that whole thing to it. Yeah, production design is Jefferson Sage, who did a simple favor with, uh, oh gosh, that'd be the Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively movie and all that. You have uh, Ruthie Carter doing costumes. And I'll even throw a little props here to uh, the dance choreographer, Fatima Robinson, who did Dreams Girls, mm. to, you know, give those routines a little bit of pop, a little bit of professionalism, because, okay. you know, like you said, when Wesley Snipes shows up, a, a team of dancers announces his presence and how cool can you be when you're that person? <laughs> And you're right. Wesley's having fun trying to be Wesley. And you can tell this is a chance for him who doesn't get a lot of opportunities anymore to come in here and just kind of have a good time and, you know, and just enjoy himself in a movie. The crazy thing for me to your argument is, is that this is the same director who did the goodwill making of Dolomite is my name I, with Eddie Murphy. I know. And I'm going to talk about slumming that. together. Will I know I it, go, go talk. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll so, pass it to you here. Okay. So Dolomite is my name. There is a scene in that mm-hmm. film in which Eddie Murphy, I don't, uh, I don't remember the character's name. I'm sorry. Uh, what, it's, I'm guessing it's Dolomite. Well, no, Dol- no, it's the actor Dolomite. Plays Dolomite is, the right? actor plays Dolomite. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay attention. Uh, so they, uh, <laughs> so they go into a theater and watch a Jack Lemon comedy. Okay. And they watch the comedy and they're not laughing. Uh, cause there's like a bunch of Dons in the room who just laugh at anything mm, and those guys and, yeah. uh, they realize they need to make their own kind of movie. You know, that's when they make their mm. own kind of comedy, their own kind of action comedy for it. Now that was a, that was a very touching, uh, scene about, you know, how Hollywood wasn't speaking for certain voices 
uh, you know, like black voices and things like that, but also that the, this idea sure. of comedy has aged out, you know, at that time, mm-hmm. I'm assuming when Dolomite was made, you know, Jack Lemmon's my all time favorite actor, so I'm not going to hate on Jack Lemmon, but yeah, we all, Excellent we pick. all know when something has served its purpose and mm-hmm. no longer functions in a society. I mean, that's why we don't make films the way we used to make films because some of those tropes and cliches and styles are, are no longer applicable. So I'll grant that totally. I found that ironic that that's in the scene in Dolomite is my name. When this film coming to America is trying so desperately hard to capture the energy and feel of a genre that has been changed fundamentally over the last 30 to 40 years and thinks that just by simply existing uh, these characters existing because they had the goodwill of the first film, they had the mm-hmm. comedic genius of the first film. Don't realize that that's that type of story uh, is old. It's no longer applicable in this society. And if right. they, if they had tried to address that in the film, which they kind of do in the most yeah, cliche they way make possible. Their, like, they make their their one gentrification joke and, you know, Queens looks a lot different than it used to and, you know, yeah. royalty and the parallels to Wakanda that obviously exists in the world of pop culture now compared to then. No, I'm with you. I, I'll back you up there to say, yes, you cannot make an 80s R-rated comedy anymore. You know, you can, it just, those things don't exist. The hangover is the last one you're going to get. And mm-hmm. so, you're right. You're for them to reach back to think they can kind of capture the same kind of thing again in terms of the gags and the makeup and the silly characters who do show up just to kind of nod and wink at your camera is asking too much. And you can tell that they were sapped by that idea. We're like, guys, we can't go there the same way again, which is why this thing lands at PG 13. What sells it for me is what sold it for me on the first movie was be, behind the gags. I'll still say it again, behind the gags, likable characters go a long way and a good, good old fashioned romance goes a long way. And I still get that in this movie. I know, you know, the guy who plays the Vell Johnson, Jermaine father, isn't the star of this movie whatsoever. And I know he doesn't get, you know, a super duper star treatment to kind of play, play the bastard son and all that. But I enjoyed his, his love angle with his helper. It's not as well developed as what Eddie's and Lisa's was, or I should say, uh, Akeem and Lisa's was from the first movie, but it's admirable. It's there. And by the time you mix that with a few more fatherly level things and you get Kiki Lane mixed in here, it works. Okay. It's, can it be done completely better? Of course. Can it be done raunchier? Of course. Can some really good talented people here be given a little more, few more things to do? Oh, certainly. Cause you're right. Wesley Snipes can deserve to kind of break out a little bit more shell than just having a fun dance and a cool entrance. Kiki Lane is a fantastic actress from if Beale street can talk and she's kind of regulated to the or relegated, I should say to the, you know, to the, 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 the snoo- not the snooty daughter, but the serious daughter in a movie that's all comedy. So she doesn't get a chance to loosen up either. Mm-hmm. But for me, Eddie Murphy still gets to kind of wink, you know, flash that smile, flash that charm. And, I, and I'm capt- I'm taken by it. It works for me in that kind of way. Like I said, it's not trying to win best picture of the year. It's not trying to be a transcendental comedy, but you're right. You cannot make a copy comedy from the eighties today the same way. And there are parts of that you totally can force. Yeah. And 
we live in a society now. We live in a society. Oh, you're um, doing it again. I know, I'm so sorry. Uh, I haven't even watched the <laughs> Snyder Cut yet. I don't know why. Uh, I'm doing this. I don't even remember if that line's in there. I keep forgetting <laughs> if it is or not. But I was asleep by then because it's the epilogue in the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for viewers out there, listeners out there, uh, Don started watching that movie uh, literally 38 hours ago and just finished. Mm. Anyways. Just finished. Correct. Um. I forgot what I was going to say because I was just so I was just making such a great Justice League joke. No, but we live in a society now where we're struggling with nostalgia. Uh, my name on Instagram, if you ever want to follow me, and on Twitter is mm-hmm. Nostalgia Bath because I find yeah. nostalgia to be one of the most bittersweet things that you can have in this world uh, because it makes you feel a certain way, but it's mm-hmm. also very unattainable. It's very hard. to it's very hard to make nostalgia um realistic um i i hear it's it's easy to sell but hard to make realistic yes yes tell me more now we've had we live in a society now where nostalgia is again is a you did it again all right keep going keep going (laughs) where we live in this world of nostalgia constantly being sold to us and it's and only a very slim few have managed to use the nostalgia to say something mm-hmm. new. Like we, we both write. For, Give me an example. Well, we both write for 25 years later, which originated right. as a twin peaks fan site. Mm-hmm. Twin peaks season three was very anti nostalgia. It was not made to capture mm-hmm. the feeling of the original series, the original first two seasons, which are very emblematic of their time, early nineties, yeah. um, soap opery kind of thing. Sure. It took your expectations played with them and mm-hmm. also adapted to the real world, knowing that twin peaks is almost kind of like this realm of existence. That's kind of trapped in the past. Whereas the okay. rest of the world has moved on. Um, Blade Runner 2049, uh, another film that I dub a masterpiece, which John doesn't agree with. Um, I don't. Um, it did the same. It's very good. Yes. But yeah. I'm bored of tears in that one. Too. Yeah, I know you're stupid. But uh, so they take that um, they take that film. And uh, the, the genius of that film to me is that it was made in the 80s. And mm-hmm. what they did is they said, let's pretend that. There was since it was set in the future when it was made in the eighties. Yeah, let's advance the story as if that time period. Like, there's no smartphones. It's basically like the future. If the future looked in 2049, stayed in had stayed like in 1982. And so, I, so I really like how they did that. Yeah. And, and there was a natural progression to the flow of it. You could see there was change in the world, mm-hmm. but they also address those changes in the world and didn't didn't have all these flashbacks and callbacks to um 80s stuff 80s nostalgia sure. stuff like that a lot of stuff is made these days simply for that fact whether it's an original story like stranger things which i think goes a little overboard on the nostalgia train it's like hey look it's the 80s he he point point wink yeah. wink um or you have these dreaded remakes that people have um you know, stuff like uh, Charlie's Angels or, you know, right. uh, whatever. The the I tell you what, the angle I come at it from, and tell me if this plugs into where you're coming from, yeah. you know, as a rubber ducky in your bath, is a lot of people get to this point of thinking that Hollywood is creatively bankrupt. 
right. the best they can kind of do sometimes is regurgitating old ideas, right. whether it's remakes or whether it's just, you know, I like, well, here, yeah, yeah, Charlie's Angels. We've had two Charlie's Angels since a original TV show. I don't know if either one of them worked and they're, you know, they're going to try it again and they're going to try this again. And is, is creative, where does creative bankruptcy plug into your nostalgia woes? Well, I'm a very, anyone who's read my stuff in 25 years later knows mm-hmm. that I'm a, I happen to be a lover of one of the most popular and corporate things in America right now, which is the Marvel cinematic universe, which is obviously yeah. taking old stories from the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s and moving them forward. Um, but one thing that I've made arguments about in prior articles is that it's just different now the way we get stories, because we live in a medium now that's over a hundred years old. And you have to remember that almost every movie that was made you know, at the beginning of cinema was based on a book or some other kind of, uh, very much so some kind of other intellectual property. Right. So it's, it's, we're not doing anything different. The, The only thing that is changing is that the windows of the windows of eras is Mm -hmm. closing. Like before you might've had like a golden age of cinema. The problem is, is people are more attuned right now to what can you do for me now? And that's why right. you can have a Charlie's Angels, uh, you know, 10 years after the last one, mm-hmm. um, because there, 10 years ago is like the ancient past now to audiences. Yeah. Let alone the 33 for coming to America. I hear right. you. So th- that's, that's kind of one of the issues I have is that there's so much of coming to America, coming to America, the sequel that, mm-hmm is literally just existing to remind you of what happened before that it rubs me the wrong way. Like I know you said you want to be in that barbershop, but I do, but I I do like that. They apparently haven't aged in 33 years. They're still like a (laughs) hundred years old. And that's kind of funny, but they don't say anything new. They're kind of making the same jokes. And yeah, or they or they mildly clean themselves up because of the now. Right. But it's not enough to be a legit change. I hear right. you. And then like a lot of the cameos of like prior like this is what I talk about with hubris. Like at the mm-hmm. end of the film, spoilers, you know, they bring oh, on they bring on sexual chocolate to sing. That's right. Completely unnecessary. It's literally just I agree with it's that. It's literally just there to you for you to be like, Oh, that was in the first yeah. one. Right, like, right, right. Unlike when they have a storyline reason to bring in the priest, they have a storyline reason to hit the barbershop. Like right. that one, I, I fully admit that one throwing on sexual chocolate at the end is full tack on for the sake of party time in the, in the credits. Right. Totally and I, and that. I think that thinking that, that thinking that that character is so relevant is <laughs> he's our mic dropper. Come on. I know, but what I'm saying <laughs> is, is that coming to yeah. America is a, there's different different definitions of classic. I don't I even there. I don't even think it's I don't even like who's this movie for? Like right. who 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 out there puts coming to America the 1988 one on such a pedestal where like hey you know what would be great come and see those characters again? Like I feel like that's true. Like no one's gonna put that as one of Eddie Murphy's three best movies. It's it's good. It's fun. It's great. Yeah, it's but great. It's, ma- yeah. you know I, maybe I'm that guy who puts it on a slightly higher pedestal than others, but. Right. But I'm a very small crowd in that where 
like you said, for the what have you done for me lately crowd, there's a whole bunch of people who don't know that movie whatsoever and are going to walk in and go, man, this is kind of lame. Well, then there's going to be some old person like me who's like, well, you should have seen the first one. Right, right. And, you know, like, for instance, immediately the thought of a new Beverly Hills Cop, for example, Mm -hmm. fills me both with happiness and dread. Because I agree, because I feel like it's going to go here. Because that is a character that stands the test of time. That's a great mm-hmm. classic character. The the, the guy yeah. from Sexual Chocolate and Hakeem and all them are funny, but they're not like classic characters. Whereas like Axel yeah. Foley is. I agree um, with that. So I agree. If that. you put in this kind of dedication and love to honoring a classic cinema character, I might be mm-hmm. more inclined to like it. I, I've seen one line of logic now that we're getting to our kind of closing here a little bit. Like a buddy of mine says, you know what? When it comes to like remakes and sequels, they should do at least more with remakes than sequels. But like we should remake movies that fail because they need the help and they right. need the switch to do something else rather than don't remake things that are wonderful and amazing just because they were they were right the first time. And I'm with you with Beverly Hills Cop. Like that's a character. That's a movie where even though it's eighties, you can put that movie in your, you know, your DVD player, your Blu-ray player now, and you get a great cop movie period. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's where that's there with Die Hard, where you, that one, it, it is a time capsule of this era and one that still has its bite coming to America. You're right because of the time, you know, changing climates and things like that. It's not going to be as fun then. And when you soften it now, it's definitely going to be softened. Can I still have fun? Sure, but I hear what you're coming. Yeah, you had fun. I did not. Um, it's totally okay. But uh, yeah, no, I, w- as we said in the beginning of the show, we want mm-hmm. you to love what you love. Um, That's right. And uh, it's only, it's totally fine to, to like coming to America. Coming to America. I, I, I want to emphasize the two so people know what we're talking about. Um, but uh, it's kind of like the Halloween movies where like now there's a Halloween, mm-hmm. which is a direct sequel to Halloween now. Oh, no. uh, and it ignores Halloween two and Halloween and all these other Halloweens. Um, so you've got to emphasize the coming to America. Mm-hmm. This was a good hissy fit, man. We did all right. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I was a little, uh, I was a little grandiose, a little extravagant, but. Uh, and that's right where you need to be. Bring it. I love it. Nope. Yep. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we want to call this one closed. I won. Uh, yes. Uh, ah, so, every- well, like I said, maybe we'll get a poll and we'll vote here for a second. Yes. Everybody, speaking of polls, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fits. You can find us on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. Um, the, uh, we are both, me and Don are both on Letterboxd. I use Letterbox all the time. I'm constantly creating lists on there, posting my reviews. Um, I have a great time with that site. So try to find us. I'm under Will Joe, W I L L J O. I believe Don mm-hmm. is Don Shanahan. I think I'm Casablanca Don, oh, but Casablanca either way, Don. you'll find me. Gotcha. I didn't do the yeah. research because I only think about yeah. myself. Also, find us both <laughs> on Letterboxd. Oh, I already said that. <laughs> Script. Uh-huh. Ah, scripting. We've posted a poll matching this episode for you listeners to weigh in on who you think made the most compelling argument to win I this did. cinephile hissy fit. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25 years later media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts and wonderful guests 
all available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Well, thanks, man, as always. See you on the next one. All right. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out. But hurry. The killer's behind you! <laughs>